Welcome to The Road Back to You. Looking at life through the lens of the Enneagram, I'm Suzanne Stubiel. And I'm Ian Cron. And we're so glad that you're listening today. Suzanne Stabile, how are you this fine day here in Nashville, Tennessee? I'm both good and excited. Why are you excited today? Because we get to talk to the only person in the world who teaches philosophy that I can understand. You know, I think this is this is the first time we've had a, I mean, a, a full-blown, serious academic on this show. Well, except for when I'm here. <laughs> Like I said, this is the first time we've had a full... That's correct. We have my friend Jim, or as he's known in the literary world, mm-hmm. James Danaher. Jim uh, is a uh, professor of philosophy at Nyack College in Nyack, New York. Uh, and he is a professor of philosophy. Uh, and specifically, he's been teaching the history of philosophy. And uh, I met Jim. Jim, tell, tell, tell folks how we, we met each other and welcome. Yeah, it was in Albuquerque uh, at a Roar conference. Uh, you gave me a copy of your book, and we struck up a friendship. And after that, I had you come to a class. I remember I was teaching a class on uh, contemplative theology, and I had you come and, and do a talk to the class. I remember that. That was a great, great time. Yeah, it was fairly interesting. Now, Jim, tell everybody how we met. <laughs> <laughs> I was walking down Fifth Avenue. <laughs> And, uh, oh dear! Oh dear! I her know, husband I know was in the ends. middle of the road directing traffic because a woman had gotten hit by a taxi cab. <laughs> okay, this is a story that's going to be hard to explain, even though I know it. I was there. Let's. <sighs> hey, Jim actually is the author of one of my favorite books on contemplative prayer. Mm-hmm. That's just the title is Contemplative Prayer. It's a really good one, isn't it? Yeah. And I've read a lot of books on contemplative prayer, but that that. Truly is, is, is one of my favorites. He's also written uh, a number of other books. One is Jesus After Modernity, Jesus, uh, Copernican Revolution uh, as well, and uh, really an incredibly lucid and, and thoughtful thinker on so many things. And we're so glad you're here. Glad to be here. Always glad to see you too. Yeah. One of the things that I find to be the most interesting about you is that when we're teaching, you're so teachable. Mm, (laughs) And when somebody um, is as academically accomplished as you are, and yet you're um, still really teachable, it says so much to me about your character as a human being. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, as a teacher, uh, what you look for is somebody in that audience that's really locked in. Yeah. And you start to work with them. Yeah. Uh, and I try to bring that as the student, too, because I know what it's like up there when nobody's locked in, you know? What, where was the first, first place you ever heard of the Enneagram, this ancient typing, personality typing system? Where, where were you introduced to it? Uh, I, I spent an internship with Richard Rohr back uh, about nine years ago, uh, maybe, maybe 10 years ago. Um, and it was while I was in Albuquerque that I really got uh, introduced to that. Mm. For those of you who don't know uh, Father Richard Rohr, uh, Richard is a, a real pioneer of introducing the Enneagram uh, in the United States with his book, The Enneagram 
uh, a Christian approach. Perspective. Perspective. Is that what it is? Yeah. Uh, and uh, a wonderful, wonderful book that Suzanne and I both uh, commend to you. And he was actually Suzanne's spiritual director for, uh, uh, what, 15 years or so? Long time. Taught us a lot. He yeah. taught Joe and me a lot. And he taught. he's the person who encouraged me to do Enneagram work. Yeah. Well, um, so Jim, what? tell me for you, I mean, you're an academic, right? And you know, academics, I mean, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong about this, but my impression is they tend to be uh, skeptical at times, right? And a little suspicious, probably, I would imagine, of something like the Enneagram because it, you know, it's not scientifically validated if you're into psychology. And they might think that it's kind of, I don't know, uh, outside the realm of the quote unquote, you know, believable. I'm just curious. T- tell me what you think as an academic, right? Not just as a practitioner, but an academic. What do you think of the of the Enneagram? I, I think it's uh, it's pretty neat, especially considering its ancient roots. Uh, but you know, all of science, all of philosophy, it's all about uh, making up a story to save the ex- the appearance, the uh, the experience. And we have this experience of different kinds of people. And the Enneagram is a story that tries to explain how those differences work and how they come together. And, uh, and it seems to be a really effective story. Mm. Uh, we live in a pragmatic age where we judge things by their consequences. Uh, is this giving us a good account of who we are? Uh, yep. Yeah, it and it does, doesn't it? It's kind of fascinating that we're all so different, but we all can find ourselves in one of those nine spaces. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Jim, what's your what's your number on the enneagram? We want to explore that a little bit. I'm a three. You're a three. Yay yeah, threes. So you're the performer. Uh, some people call the three the achiever. You are. Uh, this is for our folks who who are um, perhaps unfamiliar with with threes. You're in the heart space. But you're an aggressive number. But you're an aggressive number. So yeah. you're along there with two. You're, you're there between twos and fours. Uh, and the, the need of the three is to succeed. The yeah. need to succeed or to appear successful. Um, how did you really land on this, this sort of like, how did you have this knowing moment? That's what a lot of people say, that you were a three on the Enneagram. Like what, what tipped the scale for you? Oh, just uh, as uh, I, I guess I was first introduced it by Roar, and just when he got to three, it just nailed you so bad. You know, all my life, it's uh, I'm a little guy. I'm five nine, and uh, I was a quarterback in college. And everybody tells you you're too small to play. In co- no, no, that's all you got to tell me is I can't do it. You know, right? And it's just that sex, that uh, success motivation uh, that's just always been there. Uh, and then uh, the trouble it gets you into. Uh, and the problems you have with uh, with relationships and things like this. Uh, it just explains so much about my life. Uh, isn't it interesting? It's just true, isn't it? It's The Enneagram yeah. is just true. Yeah. Yeah. How has knowing it helped you? I, I think, you know, at a certain age, if, if you don't start doing some soul work and uh, really looking at yourself and trying to really see what's been going on and, and how your life's been shaped... Uh, you're really missing out on something, you know? You really don't know who you are. And I think the Enneagram, more than anything else, I've spent a little time in therapy. Uh, my ex-wife is a therapist. But uh, the Enneagram's helped me much more than therapy, I think, uh, to really look at myself. Wow, that's, a fa- that's an amazing statement you just made, and I want to I circle back on that. You just said the Enneagram has helped you more than 
therapy. Can you just unpack that a little bit for me? Because as a therapist, I'd like to know what, why that's. Yeah, I, I just think the fact that it, it made me really look at myself um, in, in a way that uh, the, the therapy that I have done, both with my ex-wife and, and uh, with a professional therapist, uh, didn't seem to, to get me to that place of honesty that the Enneagram did. Um, I, I don't know what the factors are involved, but it just, um, the Enneagram just seemed to hit me right on the head. Uh, I, I also think I have a leaning, I have a strong four wing. I don't have much of a two wing at all, uh, but it, it just explains so much of my life. And uh, like I say, all of our scientific theories, all of our philosophical theories uh, are all considered true because they explain something. Uh, it's not because that's the way the world is. We'd like to believe that, but it's really just that they explain something that otherwise has no explanation. You know, I was just thinking as you were, you were saying that, uh, I can't remember who said it now, but um, gosh, I just love the, the phrase. Uh, they, they were talking about how if something does what you're saying, right, that it's a story that explains experience and it seems true to our experience, you know, that, that, you know, that, that itself gives a validity. They say, don't worry about whether or not it's factorially pure. If it, if it, if it does the job that you're saying, right? Sure. Don't worry about it being factorially pure. I don't know if that brings a, any any. Well, yeah. Well, it, it can't because there's a difference between what we bring to the experience and what's there in the data of the experience itself. And we never get to the raw data. It's always our interpretation. Uh, you know, Jesus, uh, when people had strange manifestations, Jesus understood that in terms of spirits, evil spirits, whatever. That was the vernacular of the day. Today we talk about schizophrenia. We're not really talking about two different things, just two different ways to conceptualize the same thing. Right. Uh, That's and those ways are conceptual and they're relative to history and culture. And you know. Do you think there's a chance, and, and this is an honest question, I for sure don't know the answer, but do you think there's a chance that there is a, a piece of why the Enneagram helps some of us, in ways that therapy doesn't help, has to do with the fact that in Enneagram wisdom, the best part of you is also the worst part of you. Exactly. That's, I think that's the single thing that attracted me most to it. The idea that your, your sin becomes your virtue. Right. Uh, boy, that's the, the truest thing. If, if you really repent and really see who you are, uh, that, that very sin that, that's been placed in you becomes the virtue. Um, it's just amazing. I, you know, the the sin of the uh, of the three is deceit. You know, we're storytellers. My father, when I was a kid, my father was an Irish immigrant, and he used to call me a Shaughnessy. Uh, the Shaughnessys in Ireland were the storytellers, the Interesting. liars. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you just and, said the liars. Is that what you just said? Well, yeah. Well, this, you know, when when I was a little kid, he he called me a Shaughnessy. You're right. telling stories now. You're lying. You're not telling me the truth, you know? Yeah. So and the Shaughnessy's in, in the Irish communities were the, the storytellers that kept the history orally, you yeah. know, passed it from generation to generation. But uh, what the really neat thing about the Enneagram is uh, if you come to see that about yourself and, and you see that it's always about trying to put yourself up and, and make yourself look best, uh, your virtue becomes truth, uh, what you really are ultimately after is truth. Right. 
So God takes that that sin and changes it into your virtue. That's uh-huh. and it's true with each enneagram number. And I think, wow, this is just you know you don't see that with other personality types. Uh, right. Personality types they describe the personality in oh yes so what, but this is right. all about transformation. Uh, yeah, and you can do something with it, all of this wisdom. You can yeah. really learn that you are deceiving yourself and right. try to figure out who you really are. It's fascinating to me that you told that story about your dad because I think we're finding more and more that these things that are expressions of our number are available for observation when we're so young. And so my yeah. question is, when you were being called to Shaughnessy, were you just telling your dad what you thought he wanted to hear? Yeah, about me. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is how I want you to see me. Yeah, and it's always about projecting. You know, threes uh, don't pick up. Uh, they don't have their a sense of their own feelings. Right. But they they can read the kind of feelings they're producing in other people. Exactly. Right. Uh, and it, that's a very strange thing. My ex wife used to say, "How do you feel?" I go, "I feel good." <laughs> Really feel? I feel real good. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I, no. I know how you feel when I say this or when I say that, but I have no idea how I feel. Yeah. So you know, um, you just hit so much stuff out that is is rich. Um, so you are, in my mind, uh, an, really an expert around this topic of contemplative prayer, and this is something we we haven't really addressed on the show yet, yeah. which is, you know, how do we take this information and you know make it into something that's the, the the fodder for transformation. And one of the ways we almost, well, we always, not even almost, we we really tell people you have to develop a practice of, of contemplative or maybe prayer, centering prayer, whatever, a meditation practice to, to really help you begin to strengthen the muscles of self-observation so you can yeah. catch yourself when you're falling into the unhealthy yeah. space, so you're not on autopilot, living reactively, but responsibly. Can you help people understand, just for a second, what contemplative prayer is and how it can help to develop, um, you know, the interior witness so that, you know, you can begin to do work with your number? Yeah. My, my uh, provost uh, a month or two ago at graduation said to me, where are all these books coming from? And I said, you know, I got into contemplative prayer about 20 years ago, and I just get to that that still place, uh, and boy, uh, you just meet God there, uh, and stuff comes out of that that's just unbelievable. But just the stillness, just, you know, uh, contemplatives always talk about the monkey mind, and, and your mind is being controlled by all these ideas that are constantly thrown at it. And just to say no to those ideas and just to come into that stillness, you know, I, I just last year I read Gerald May's uh, Dark Night of the Soul and also oh, it's yeah, so it's so good. Down to the Cross. So good. Oh, just unbelievable. And it's it's such a, a, a deep truth about this dark night of the soul. And and it's it's an illuminous darkness. And it's all of a sudden you get to that place and it's just you and God and you experience that presence and it makes the rest of the world just go away. Uh, and that's the real base out of which we do everything. Uh, that's the place that we come home to all the time. I try to get to that place about four or five times a day where I'll just take time, lay down. I, I'm not really good at a lotus or anything else. I lay down and, uh, and just get real still 
and real quiet and uh, it's just the most rejuvenating it's uh, it's the thing in life I'd give up anything else beside that mm. just that that prayer practice you know you know in that beginning part of Gerald May's book he early in the book I think he talks about the fact that um, he was told that he had cancer and he thought oh this is terrible but then yeah. he was home more with his family and he thought well this is pretty good and then um, <laughs> the chemo worked, and he thought, yeah. well, this is great. But it caused a problem with his heart, and he thought, oh, well, this is terrible. And he kind of yeah. goes through that whole thing, and then he says, you know, I've just decided I don't know what's good and what's bad anymore. That's I, exactly I it. I don't know. That's exactly it. So much of what I write is about, you know, the arrogance of human beings to think that we understand this mystery, you know? Uh it's unbelievable. I really think the, you know, we're never going to understand the world. We're never going to understand God. The whole Jesus thing was about for us to understand ourselves and who we are in relationship to God. Uh, and I think the Enneagram helps so much with that. It shows you what real sin is. It's not the behavioral stuff. It's something way deeper than that. Uh, it's, it's this thing that's so much a part of our personality and we think it's real and it's not ultimately real. Uh, right. Right, because what it's so fascinating to me that we try to use what is not real to, to yeah. explain what is real, yeah. and you can't exactly. do it. Yeah. What do you and wish? The, what? Oh, I'm sorry. You want to say something else? Well, just that uh, I, I think you know when people talk about great relationships, and yeah, maybe, but you don't tell anybody everything about yourself. No. The only one that you tell everything is God. And I think that's why you need that, that contemplative time more than anything else, because that's when you can get alone with God and you can really be honest. And, and there's no holes barred because, you know, he's the only one that can hear everything you have to say and he's going to be okay with it. And there's, there's really nobody else in our life like that. No, no. No matter how much you say, oh, no, this person, I can tell him anything. Nah. No, you really couldn't, uh, you know. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Jim, I, have, I just want to follow up a little bit on threes, you know, these these performers. Um, and they're, you know, when they're like every other number, when they're in a good space and they're healthy, they're they're just they're just fantastic. You know, in our in our new book, The Road uh, Back to You, we we explore as we do it in our live sessions, you know, pretty much the average uh, space of every number. And, and it can be hard, you know, for people to hear because. You know, we are describing, um, you know, what we're like when we're not doing great, because we think people learn more from what they don't get right than from what they do get right, you know? Yeah. Uh, so three is the most image conscious number, um, the Enneagram. Right. And uh, it's real important for threes to be perceived as successful, either to be successful or to appear successful. There's a terrible anxiety that behind this mask, this this persona they adopt to uh, really, to be the person that they believe the people they're with want them to be, right? Uh, right. So, so often, what happens in in our workshops uh, is that when threes find out their number, when they hear their number, they typically feel more shame than any other number. It's it's harder for them than any other number on the enneagram because to they claim f- their number. Yeah, because they just feel so exposed. I'm just curious if that was your experience and why you think that that might be true. Yeah, I, I think it. I think that's true, and that was my experience. I was just blessed with so much humiliation that uh, it finally broke. But yeah, if it's all about image. Well, if, and if that's who you think you are, you're going to defend that at all costs. 
Uh, Let's back up to humiliation is such a blessing. Yes, it is. Uh, and it, some it, have not been blessed yet. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And I, I think all of the, the, the entire Enneagram, uh, it's about seeing the false self. Uh, and that's, I think, hardest for the three to see because uh, they think that false self is, no, that's who I am. Yes. You know? Perfectly said. What do you wish people knew about your number? Uh, what they, what I wish they knew about my number. Hmm. Or about you as your number. Uh, that, you know, threes, I guess, are the, the salesmen, the ones that, uh, you know, are always presenting this persona. And there's really, there is something behind it. It's just that they can't get to it or it's very hard to get to. Uh, okay. Well, now I want to build on that for a minute. Because um, I got to say, you've done enough work, obviously, that when you walk into a room, I would not look up and think, oh, I I bet that guy teaches the history of philosophy at (laughs) Nyack College. And then when when I met you, uh, you didn't, you, you don't put off that at all. Yeah. What do you think that's about? That laying down five times a day? I've always uh, liked the intellectuals like uh, Jimmy Breslin. I always thought was the ideal intellectual. You know, he was a a Brooklyn mook who uh, wrote bestsellers, you know, but he was still a a Brooklyn mook. You know, I'm from Texas. I have no idea what a mook uh, is. It's just uh, you're a a local guy. I heard Jimmy Breslin one time do a talk about a wedding that he went to at a VFW hall. You know? (laughs) Right. Yeah, yeah. That's that's Jimmy Breslin. He would go to VFW hall, you know, uh, weddings, you know. So um, if you were going to say to somebody, I think it would be so great for you to learn about the Enneagram, and here's why. What would you say? Oh, because you can't keep on fooling yourself all your life, you know. You, you have to when you're young and you put up these facades. But it's really sad when you see people in their 60s or 70s trying to keep up that facade. Yeah. And they have no idea who they really are, you know. Uh, that uh, the, the, the wounds that come into us through life are, are supposed to be sacred wounds. They're supposed to uh, destroy that false self and get us down to something deeper. Uh, and some people, uh, maybe the ones that we think are fortunate that just skate through life and never had any real uh, disasters coming their way and no real humiliations, mm-hmm. they're probably the, the most to be pitied. You know? mm. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm so grateful you said that because oftentimes, you know, uh, you know, people think they are their personality. You know, it's not yeah. just the threes. I mean, we all just sort we of think do. we are the sum total of what we think, feel, uh, do, uh, what, you know, are, uh, what all these different, you know, manifestations. But that actually there's a, there's a deeper, truer, more luminous, uh, God-bearing expression behind the working of the personality. Now, the Enneagram is not going to say to you, okay, let's find out what your personality is, delete it, and, you know, put a new one in place. All all we want to do, right, is help people identify um, those self-limiting dimensions of our personality so we can disidentify with them and get on with the business of being who we truly are. Yeah, the parts that don't serve you or God will. That's right. Yeah. 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 And I I think that's... uh, a really important thing for people to get because they think, oh, I'm an eight. And I want to say to them, no, you just missed it. You yeah. just actually replaced yeah. 
you, you just took on new language to right. say the same thing you've been saying your whole life. You are not an eight. Right. 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 That, that, that's a, you know, that's just another iteration or expression of, of a, of a personality. And what we're trying to tell you is you are not your type. Right. Yeah. Right. I wish I could say that a million times. Me people. too. It's you covering up who type. you are. Who you are is underneath all of this. And so yeah. I love what Suzanne says to people when she says, during an Enneagram workshop, we are not going to tell you who you are, right? Right. We're going to tell you who you're not. Who you are is going to yeah. be your business to find out with exactly. you. Exactly. And everything else. But, but exactly. we can just tell you who you're not in the next, you know, yeah. <laughs> well, it feels like 18 hours when we yeah. do a whole day like that. Yeah. So, anyhow. <laughs> so, I got to tell you, kind sir, thanks for coming on our show. You are one of my favorite folks. I look forward to the next time You're I get to see you. You're one of my favorite, too. Thank you. Jim, it's been great to have you, brother. When I get back to New York, you know, I'm going to make you take me out to lunch again. Okay, Very sounds soon. good, buddy. All right, you man. Got- bless you, friend. Peace. God bless you guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Isn't he a, isn't he a great guy? He is such a great guy. I, 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 was, I almost fainted the first time when I was teaching in Greenwich, and you came up to me and said, that guy right there, you see him? Right. He's a philosopher from Nyack College. Remember, I turned pale right from the tip of my roots to my toes and said, why is he here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's a, he is a very humble, uh, thoughtful guy, and he is so smart. And that book on contemplative prayer really is great. And I, I want to just say in closing, because we didn't get a chance to explore it. We need to do a whole show on this, a whole podcast, that this whole idea that there's a, that, you know, in, in doing the work, mm-hmm. right? Our language you, is good. You, you, you've got to really invest in this, this practice of, of meditation, uh, because in it, we begin to develop the capacity to catch ourselves when we're, we're you know, going into autopilot and uh, just to live with more self-awareness and, and, and the ability to self-observe. We've got to catch know. ourselves in the act. Yeah. You have to catch yourself in the act. I'll tell you, I, I hear it over and over and over when people say, okay, well, what's the one spiritual practice that I should start with? Well, the one that you cannot do without is contemplative prayer. Right. The others can come and go, but not that one. And, and I know for some people listening, that's a hard phrase to get. You don't know what it is. Stick around. We're going to do a show on this, but centering prayer may be something y'all yeah. could look up. Yeah. And I would recommend one of my favorite books. It's a little hard, but but my favorite is Into the Silent Land. I love that too. Martin Laird, L-A-I-R-D, uh, which is a book on contemplative prayer. What's Thomas Keating's? One Heart, One Mind. One Mind. It's a wonderful book on centering prayer. And my husband, Joe, has a great series yeah. based on Keating's work that's recorded on contemplative prayer through life in the Trinity ministry. Oh, great. I've had a ball today. I have a Me ball too. with you every time. Yeah, I know. You. I know. We You're were, a good soul. This is one of the things we were supposed to do, don't you think? Yeah. I, I wonder if work is supposed to be this much fun. I don't know, but I'm going to, in club, would just say, for this I came. <laughs> <laughs> I would just say, this is mine to do, and we'll see you guys next time. We'll see you indeed. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Road Back to You, looking at life through the lens of the Enneagram. Produced by Jim Chapey and engineered by Brad Bass. Our theme music is provided by the band Waterdeep from their album Moment, written by Lori Chaffer. Please visit our website, www.theroadbacktoyou.com, for news, more podcasts, and information on our public appearances around the country. And you can order our book, The Road Back to You, An Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery, at Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. 
and be sure to join us next time. It's going to be a good one, so come on back. <laughs>